This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> I'll call you back from those conversations. Uh, keep those conversations going after the service. Uh, that would be really great. I will join with Johnny. I'll just let me get my uh, timer happening up here. I uh, certainly join with Johnny uh, in welcoming you and congratulating you and getting to church, uh, even with the days and the times shifting. Uh, for our family, we're very much hoping, expecting, praying in faith that there'll be an extra hour of sleeping uh, in the future days uh, coming. Uh, that would be lovely if our kids do that. Um, but this morning we're going to start uh, a new series, and I'd love to start it in a place um, by inviting you, if we can get that up, Sam, the next one up. Anybody know these creatures? Does anybody love, feel a deep empathy and compassion, wanting to look after the beautiful dolphins uh, in our oceans and in, in our waterways? So I'd love to tell you a story. Uh, and this is, a, this is a true story, and maybe some of you are aware of it, a history, a story of history, uh, that in the east part of our great big ocean, that's to the side of Australia, so uh, on the American side of the ocean, um, there were commercial tuna fishermen uh, who understandably were fishing for tuna because they are tasty and delicious and very convenient when placed in a can and put in supermarket shelves. And they worked out last century that schools of yellowfin tuna in particular would kind of gather together under uh, schools of dolphins. Uh, and so they would, as commercial fishermen, fish the area ar around and under where dolphins were swimming and where dolphins were playing. Uh, and their fishing methods at the time meant that everything in that net got scooped up. And you'll know, if you know anything about dolphins, make a little hole here. Does anyone know what that's for? For breathing. It's for breathing. And so as part of commercial tuna fishing in the east part of the Pacific Ocean, there were this byproduct, or what they would call bycatch, of dolphins being caught up in these giant nets, unable to reach the surface to take their next breath. And so as they would pull their hauls of tuna up, uh, they would find all these dead dolphins who have drowned trapped in the nets. Now, there was all manner of legislation that happened in the Americans uh, at, at that time around what was allowed and what wasn't allowed, but effectively nothing actually happened. It didn't make any change to the way that commercial fishing operated uh, in the East Pacific Ocean. It was thought, well, this is just how it is. This is the way this industry operates. Until until a biologist by the name of Sam Labud in 1987 snuck on to one of these uh, sh shipping uh, vessels, these fishing vessels, and he took some footage. That's not a great uh, image, um, but it is 1987, you've got to remember, uh, and he wasn't really supposed to be taking any footage, and you can see all the dolphins caught up uh, in these nets. So a couple of months later, after he'd been on this fishing trip, and uh, as he'd caught this footage, uh, it went kind of viral back in the day. It hit mainstream media in March 1988. And what do you think happened for people like you and me seeing this and knowing what some of the cost of their tuna was? Well, all of a sudden, everyday consumers started boycotting non-dolphin-friendly tuna. Small seemingly insignificant but incredibly powerful action 
as one by one people in America exercise their consumer choice to pay the extra 15 cents a can or whatever it was to buy the dolphin friendly certified tuna. Fast forward a decade on the shelves of the supermarkets in America, it was nearly impossible to find tuna that wasn't certified as the way that they'd been caught was dolphin friendly and dolphin safe. And this is, uh, so there we go, you can see up there, dolphin safe and certification on the back of cans and all that kind of stuff. The small, seemingly insignificant, but incredibly powerful action. Uh, this is what we would call a ripple effect. The continuing and spreading results of an event or action. And we know this, don't we? When we chuck a pebble in a pond, we get to see the ripples, we get to see the waves that that action or that activity has caused. Uh, we'd all be very familiar with it in our lives as well, the importance of small but consistent strategic actions. We've all got a friend who's had an amazing physical transformation that comes from a very small, seemingly insignificant, but incredibly powerful choice to go for a daily walk or whatever it is. We've got so many testimonies in the life of our church and the life of our brothers and sisters of the ways they've come back to the Lord or the way they've come alive in their faith based on a seemingly small and insignificant action to spend five minutes with God in his word every day. And the ripple effect of that has been huge in their lives. The amount of marriages I've talked to where people say, we would not be married if not, and then they name a small, seemingly insignificant but incredibly powerful practice, apart from our date night that we've had every week for the last 20 years. And so what we want to do for the next five weeks is that we want to think about the small, the seemingly insignificant, but the incredibly powerful actions that we can have as part of our missional practices as the people of God. Uh, what does it mean for us to have a heart for, a lot, for the lost and to position ourselves to reach the lost? Often something that seems so incredibly daunting when we think of it like that. But when we can actually break it down to these small, consistent practices that, that we can live out, well, I think we'll see a ripple effect into the lives of those who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, and that's where we want to start. And that's what we want to see. Uh, and we're going to start today in, I think, the place where it needs to start. Perhaps the most seemingly small and insignificant of them all, but perhaps the most incredibly powerful of them all, personal prayer. Our practices, our commitment, our devotion to actually pray for our unsaved family and friends. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk through what is a very straightforward message, but one that we each need to live into. So Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we've gathered together in your name this morning, free of persecution. God, I want to thank you that we've sung songs that celebrated that you are the cornerstone, the one on which we've built our lives that we gather together as those who know your love, who have experienced your mercy, who know how beautiful and wonderful it is to be in relationship with you. God, would you move our hearts towards those who have not yet experienced this for themselves. And God, would you inspire us and lead us and shape us to be a missional people, a people who are on mission every day, who don't just hear about these things, but actually live into them for your sake and for the sake of those who don't yet know you. So use this time, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So prayer. Prayer is the first practice that we're going to talk about in these five weeks um, that has a beautiful riffle effect, not only into the lives of those we're praying for, but into our lives as those who are doing, are doing the praying. 
And there's a great story in Luke chapter 19 in the life of Jesus that, that I'd love just to, to draw your attention to as, as we lead into this. Uh, it's the great story where Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. We celebrate it on Palm Sunday uh, every, every year. And at this point in Jesus' life, things are getting wild and they're getting pretty hairy because the cross is looming large. It's only days away. He's entering his sort of final week. Uh, and you know the story, don't you, that, that he, en- he comes towards Jerusalem and people come out to greet him. They come out to welcome him. They're putting down palm branches and they're laying down their coats. They're singing Hosanna, Hosanna to, to in the Most High. And it's this beautiful fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy uh, and this beautiful welcoming of Jesus as the coming Messiah, the one who is going to save them, God's anointed. It's this beautiful moment. But as Jesus continues journeying towards Jerusalem... Uh, we read this, that as he approached Jerusalem, and this is after all the coats and the palm branches and, and all the singing, he saw the city. As he approached Jerusalem and when he saw the city, he wept over it and said, oh, if you, if you would only known on this day what would bring you peace. Jesus looks over this city and he looks over all the people in this city, knowing what it is that he brings knowing what it is that he offers to them. Not just the throwing off of sort of Roman occupation, but the defeat of sin and death, the greatest enemies of all humanity. Being reconciled to God and knowing that they're not going to accept him and they're not going to bring him in, he weeps over, I would say, the lostness of those in the city. And this is not the first time we've seen Jesus moved with compassion and moved with empathy for the lostness and the brokenness in the world. And as our Lord, as our Savior, as the one that we follow, we follow in his footsteps, I think, in having the same heart towards those who don't yet know him in our world today. And when our heart breaks for the lostness of our friends and our family, when we're filled with deep compassion and deep empathy for those that haven't experienced the freedom and the forgiveness, the love, the reconciled relationship with God that we've enjoyed, Like the idea is that it should drive us to pray, that we pray about these things, that we bring these people before God, that we're asking for his loving intervention, that he would open their eyes, that he would soften their hearts, that ultimately that he would draw people into a living relationship with himself. This makes sense, doesn't it? This makes sense. And so Paul, when he writes to the early church, talking about opportunities to share faith, he encourages them to devote themselves to prayer. One of the beautiful things about prayer is it's, it's done in secret. It's done unseen. It's done in the privateness of our relationship with God. So there's no need to put on a Christian mask for this one. Like we're unable to project good Christian image and living to those we want to impress. Uh, we don't get caught up into what we're doing collectively as some sense of obligation or, or collective peer pressure. But when it's just us and God, I have to ask... Do you pray for those who don't yet know Jesus? Are you devoted to bringing them before God? Is your heart moved with deep compassion and empathy for the lostness and the brokenness in our world? I put it to you, if you make this a regular priority and practice in your personal prayer life, you will see the ripple effect You'll see God answer prayers. You'll see God open doors and you'll see your heart change and your mindset start to shift 
as you see yourself as someone who is on mission every day. Personal prayer, that's the practice we're talking about. Well, a couple of years ago uh, at my previous church, and it's lovely to have a few guests from Parramatta here uh, today as well, um, we ran a whole year where we thought this was a really important thing for us to push into as as a church family. Uh, We were really trying to cultivate this culture of everyone being on mission every day. Uh, And we ran programs, of course we ran programs, we did preaching, of course we did preaching, but we recognised that actually the primary way that Jesus invites us to be missional is for us individually to be living this out in our individual lives and our individual relationships. And so we set aside this year for prayer. Uh, And we call them Ask Prayers. This is based on um, Jesus' own instruction about prayers. Ask, seek, knock. Uh, And so we spent this year and gave everyone these little flyers to be praying by name for someone or someones that we really desired to come into a saving relationship and knowledge of the Lord. So someone that could have been a friend, could have been a family member, could have been a work colleague, a, a sports buddy, but praying actually by name for them and interceding for them the, the entire year. We, we, I mean, hopefully people did it longer than a year, but we made a lot of noise about it for an entire year. Uh, in that place of knocking, we're actually asking over, over different areas of our lives. So people were praying for their neighbourhoods, or they were praying for a move of God in their workplace, or in their sporting club, hobbies, their families pray, 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 and we just made so much noise about it. We got people to commit to it. We got people to write uh, their names down. We had these so that it would remind people. They could stick it on their fridge. They could put it in their, in their Bibles. They had digital versions on their phone, this constant reminder that through the year, daily, this is going to be our pattern. This is going to be our practice. We are going to be a people that pray that people are coming to a saving relationship with Jesus. And I think one of the things that we saw as a result of it, one of the ripple effects, if, if you like, of what happened, is that the stories that were being told in our times of open microphone shifted, and they changed. Uh, so the beginning of the year, often our open mic, we used to do this every couple of weeks, would be a, a story about the way God has been at work in, in our lives, or an answer to prayer that, that we had seen. I think by the end of the year, approximately two-thirds of the stories being told at our times of open mic were about how there was an opportunity to share faith with somebody or an opportunity to practically bless somebody who didn't yet know Jesus. A story that that, that feels like somebody took a step closer towards Jesus. And so as a community, we saw this ripple effect that as we were praying, not only was God answering our prayers, but he was shaping our hearts and the way that we were intentional with our lives, the ways that we were on the lookout for and ready and courageous to step into any and every opportunity we had to bless somebody who didn't yet know Jesus in the hopes that they would start to draw near. Uh, It was a beautiful time. So we want to be a people of deep prayer. And so if we're going to be a people of prayer, well, then what should we pray? Uh, And thankfully, there's some great prayers throughout the Scripture that we're invited to pray into this area. We're kind of not left on our own on this one. So Matthew chapter 9, we've spoken about this one before. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them. Again, it's that heart driving him because they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Look around, there are people who need God. There are people who are aware that they need God. There are people who are ready to come to God with their need. And so therefore, pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So this is one of the most easy and natural and biblical ways that we can start praying. It's to pray that God would send out workers into his harvest field. 
But I think we're called to do that fully aware that we are part of God's intended answer to that prayer. Yeah? We are part of God's intended answer to that prayer. You know, in my early 20s, I managed a, a subway store. Uh, it was a very good subway store, I might, I might add. Um, we punched out about 100 to 110, you know, subs in an hour. We served them really well, so I just cannot cope with uh, subway stores in the Central Coast. You have a very laid-back approach to making sandwiches here. Um, but on the whole, we had some really high-quality staff who worked as hard as we did. That's, that's why the stores uh, were able to be so efficient and successful as they were. But every now and again, you'd get, you'd get a worker who maybe just didn't quite catch the culture of the store. And I remember this one guy, he's, uh, he's, on, um, he's on the sort of salad, salad bit of the production line, uh, and, you know, he's busy and everyone's doing their thing, and he's like, oh, the, the, the carrot's getting low. And you're kind of like, and? <laughs> and like, oh, no, the carrot's getting low. It's like, yeah, mate, it's, it's literally in the fridge right beside you. We've prepped it. It's ready to go. You just got to swap it out. Um, he kind of announces it like, hey, just letting everybody else know the carrot's low. This is some, somebody's got to do something about this. Who, who do you think was supposed to do something about it, right? And so after lunch, you kind of go, okay, I'm ready for my break. And you kind of look in and there's one or two little shards of carrot in there. And you're like, sure, you can go on your break. After what? <laughs> You've replaced the carrot, right? And I think sometimes we can be a little bit like this when we pray to God about those who need Jesus in the world. Right? We, we come up to God and say, God, we want you to send workers out into the harvest field. God, I've got this work colleague, and I just pray that you would send them somebody that knows them, that knows you, somebody that loves you. Oh, Jesus, would you put someone in their life that knows what it is to be forgiven and to be free and to, and to just know how good it is to live in relationship with you? God, would you send them somebody that can see them, that will like them, that will understand them, that will desire them to come to faith? Ever wondered what sometimes angels must think of the things that we pray? You just imagine an angel standing over us, like looking at each other, being like, I think they're describing themselves, right? God, would you send them somebody just like me? But maybe who's got a little bit more courage? I don't know what it is. When we pray this prayer, we pray, I think, expecting, hopefully, that we are part of God's intended answer to that prayer. Lord, would you send harvesters into the harvest field, for the harvest is plenty. Here I am, Lord. Send me. So if part of praying for those who are outside the faith is about our position amongst them, well, what should we pray? Well, again, lots of great things to be praying for. I think the scriptures give us a couple of really good insights into the life of Paul. That he asks prayer for an open door. He asks prayer for courage. And he asked prayer to witness well, to be really clear in his communication. So again, this is in that passage from Colossians chapter 4. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. He's praying for opportunities. Opportunities to share faith. Opportunities to bless towards faith. Opportunities to witness to something of the life and the love of Jesus in the ways that we interact. Whether it is things that we say or whether it's things that we do. Praying for opportunities. And then he asks that he would proclaim it clearly. I want you to remember who's writing this letter. This is the Apostle Paul. 
incredibly learned, scholarly man who spent his entire life studying the Old Testament scriptures and then since he came to faith uh, in Jesus, then going and publicly proclaiming, preaching the full message of salvation in Jesus. If that guy is praying, God, would you help me proclaim it clearly? Would you help me witness well in these opportunities that you give me? So I think for us, obviously, we can be praying the same for us. He also prays for courage. This is in Ephesians chapter 6. That I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Would anybody describe Paul as a cowardly man? No? I wouldn't. If you know the scriptures and you know the stories of Paul, he is a fiercely courageous believer in Jesus. Right. He writes to the church in, in Philippi from prison for preaching Christ and tells them how good it is that he's in prison because he's getting the chance to preach Christ to his jailers, the, the, like the very thing that he was put in, in prison for. In, like, he's a courageous guy. But even he is asking for courage. God, pray for me for courage, that I wouldn't shy back, that I wouldn't be ashamed, but that I would step into every opportunity with boldness and fearlessly make known the goodness of of the gospel. So I think as we pray for ourselves, the simplest things to do is to follow the scriptural examples there, to pray for an open door, to pray for courage, to make the most of every opportunity, and to pray, Lord, help me witness well in those moments. Is that pretty clear? Good. I was saying to the prayer team before, before the service, I feel this is a message that doesn't need much explanation. It just needs implementation in our lives. So would you start praying these things over your life? And lastly, I just want to really recognise that sometimes praying for those who are far from Jesus can be a really hard and tricky thing in our lives. As I've spoken with people across multiple churches now, I think one of the things, one of the griefs that get carried the most is for children who have chosen to walk a different path. Uh, for kids that were brought up going to church, who were brought up in the faith, the mum and dad who absolutely love Jesus and are so for him and want nothing more than for their kids to know and taste and experience the goodness that they have found in Jesus. And then to see their teenage son or daughter or their young adult son or daughter or into their adult lives, young son or daughter, go different ways and go far from God. And I recognise to pray into those spaces can be full of grief. Uh, and it can actually be really, really hard because you have to confront the actual emotions around it. And so I think as we, we pray for those, particularly maybe those who are closest to us, there is some spiritual battle stuff we need to stand on and that we need to pray into. 1 John 5 This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I think sometimes we need to contend for the faith, contend for the power of our prayers, contend to believe that God can soften the hardest heart and welcome home the wildest, most rebellious.
prodigal. And so we want to pray into this. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, if he was able to make light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, oh, that's a big sentence, isn't it? (laughs) Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, it is a very technical and theologically dense sentence, but effectively what Paul is saying is like the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. But then we think about what happened to us, that there was a revelatory thing that God did in our hearts that enabled us to see the beauty and the worth and the truth of Jesus. And so if I could gift to you this prayer, please pray for those who don't yet know Jesus in light of this. Pray that God would open their eyes. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be a soul at work in their lives to reveal Christ to them. And if you want to get real, stand on your authority. I think you can pray an undermining of the enemy's work in their life, the ways that he is blinded and the ways that he is bound. You can break some of that in the name of Jesus and pray in its place a move of God, a revelation of God, the Holy Spirit awakening, opening eyes, and softening hearts. And can you imagine? Oh, here we go. Can you imagine if every one of us in this room every day started prioritizing this personal practice of praying for those who don't yet know Jesus? All of us, each day. I don't know if someone's praying over there or what, but... (laughs) Well done, the point was implementation, not, not, not explanation. Can you imagine what that does? All of these prayers going up to a God who created the entire world by speaking it into being. Imagine what that does in our hearts if today, tomorrow, the day after the day after that, I prioritise praying for open doors, that God would send workers, including me, into the harvest field. Imagine the answers to prayer. Imagine the, the missional intentionality that each of us would car- carry as we go into our weeks looking for the ways that God's going to answer those prayers in providing open door opportunities to make known the goodness and greatness of Jesus. Oh, I think that's exciting. Oh, I think the ripple effect of that is there's no limit is it, to what that could look like. And so I want to pray right now for us, and I want to encourage you to go live this. It's not really much to understand. You understand it. There's not anything else to explain. It's clear. So let us be the people that put this into practice. So Heavenly Father, I want to pray first and foremost that each and every one of us, God, would have the deepest sense of understanding of what it is that you have done for us. This life that we have found in you would so fill our hearts and our thoughts that one of the most natural desires in our lives could be that we want that for others. 
We want others to come to taste and see that the Lord is good, for we have tasted and when we have seen God, you are good and you are great. And we don't want to live our lives apart from you any longer. And God, I want to pray that you would break our hearts for the lostness and the brokenness of our world, a world that you love, Jesus, a world that you created, a world that you laid down your life and died for. And so we know your heart, Lord, is to draw people back into a living relationship with you, to have their sins forgiven, to be restored, to be redeemed, to be healed, to be set free. And so, Lord, would you increase our faith, I pray, to pray boldly and courageously and consistently for our friends, our family members, our work colleagues, our schoolmates, our uni mates, the friends that we head into the sporting field together with who don't yet know you. God, do not relent. Holy Spirit, would you keep putting it on our hearts and in our minds that we would pray by name for these people daily. And as we do, Lord, I pray that you would open up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for us to sow gospel seeds, to live visibly, to share what you mean to us in ways that keeps layering up and layering up and layering up this picture of what a life with you looks like and feels like, experienced that we have. And we do pray, Lord, for open eyes and softened hearts to the things of you. Help us believe that even the hardest heart you can soften, even the blindest eyes you can open, even the most wayward rebellion, son or daughter, you can welcome home. So Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to bring many into a saving faith in Jesus through the life and the witness of this people here at NVBC for your glory and for the sake of those that we pray for now. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.